0: I want to welcome those of you who are watching online, those of you who are watching the 11 o'clock service, and all of our youth and our students. We're so thankful that you're worshiping in our midst and we get to be here with you today. So, a lot of you may know this, but I was born in southern Arizona in a town called Tucson, and that's where I grew up. And there are a lot of things I love about Arizona. The sunsets are amazing. We've got, you know, one of the natural wonders of the world, called the Grand Canyon. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, But there's some cool stuff about Arizona that I really do love. But it's not the best place to be a gardener, just straight up, like, it's just not the best place. Unless you're into, like, cactus and succulents, like, it's just not the the place to go to be like, I want to create an oasis. Um, And I don't know if you caught this in the news uh, a couple, like, about a month or so ago, but, like, Arizona and, like, part of Southern California, there's record high heat waves, and I was talking to my parents, and it was 116 degrees for a week. Like they went to like a low of like the high 80s at night. And I was just like thinking about those moments when my mom asked me like, why do you live in Seattle, it rains so much. And I'm thinking, mom, you live in an oven. Like, (laughs) this is ridiculous. (laughs) And what's more is that like Tucson actually has an average rainfall of 12 inches a year. Okay, which for comparison, Seattle's average rainfall is about 38 inches a year. And then on top of it, if you want to be a gardener, um, because there's so uh, few vegetation, there's not a lot of fruitful vegetation for uh, animals to find. When they find your garden, they eat it. So you have these like little cages around plants you have, so it's like plant prison, and that's your garden. Anyway, I don't really get it, but uh, my mom loved it, and I got to be her son, which meant I got to be part of her love of it. Um, And she was a teacher, so that she saved a lot of her big landscaping projects for the summer which wait when it was 100 degrees outside all the time, right? So the fun thing for me as a kid is when I got to do my chores or when I was in trouble and I needed to work off some consequences, I got to wake up at like 5 a.m. to dig holes because that was the best time to do it before it got too hot. And I just remember thinking to myself, this is ludicrous. Like my mother is insane and I somehow need to help her out of this. But the reality is is that my mom had a vision, and she loved gardening, and she was gonna bring that vision to reality, and I got to be the labor to help make that happen. Well, this part of my past is something I thought a lot about as I was prepping to preach this week, and I was thinking about this text. Because despite how crazy my mother was, and mom, I know you're watching, and yes, it was crazy, despite how crazy it was, she wanted to make it half happen. And no matter how many times some plant died and we had to figure out some other solution or it got eaten or that the odds were just stacked against us because it was a desert, um, she just kept trying and kept persisting. And that's because she saw something in there. She saw something in our front and backyard and she saw potential and she wanted to realize that potential. And I, the thing that I think is important about that and why I was thinking about it is I think God looks at us the same way. I think God sees us and sees the people he created and sees potential in us and wants to help us realize that potential of who we're called to be. that's what I want to talk about today. And so to start, let's dive into our text. And as we do that, there's three key words that we need to pay attention to. We have a sower, we have seeds, and we have soil. So let's start with the sower. The sower in our story is Jesus. And Jesus is, or it's God, the Father, the Holy Spirit. Um, But Jesus is the sower who surveys the field and sees the potential within it and wants to see that potential realized. And he's going to till the soil, he's going to plant it with good seed, he's going to give it nutrients, he's going to take care of it so that it can be ready to receive the seeds he wants to plant and it can reap a harvest. And he's a constant presence in the field, paying attention to it, weeding it, doing whatever needs to be done in order to prepare the field for um, the, the, the crop he wants to harvest. And what he wants to harvest is these seeds he's, he's throwing out. And those seeds are the gospel, or the word of God, as our text talks about it. And that seed carries within it a potential that's a hundred, a 1, thousand times its size. And it has within it the ability to root itself into the soil and draw upon the soil to grow into something crazy and amazing. And it takes this new shape as it does so, and that it grows these plants that will bear fruit. And the bearing fruit part is really important. Because within Jewish culture, and this is the culture that Jesus is speaking to as he's coming up with this parable, um, oftentimes harvest was used as a metaphor for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And so the idea that there would be a harvest is a really important point to this story. Um, But we're going to get back, we're going to get to that later. What I want to talk about next is, lastly, we have the soil. And the soil has within it the potential to nurture the seed that the sower has planted and serve as a space for it to grow. And that soil is us. We are the space and the context that God wants to do his work. He wants to plant the seed of the gospel in us. He wants to allow that to take root. He wants to esta- the gospel to establish its roots deeply in us and allow us to nurture it so that the word of God may bear fruit and that others may, may be able to reap that harvest. And I think this is the place that it's really easy to get tripped up in, in our parable. Because I, I don't know about you, but I, sometimes I want to imagine a little bit of a different twist to this story Because the reality, at least for me, doesn't have to be for you, but for me is I don't like being called dirt. It's just not not my favorite thing in the world, right? Like, I'm not going to go up to Rich and be like, hey, Rich, you're dirt. Okay? Like, it's just not a compliment. It's not something I enjoy being called. But as I was reflecting on, like, what is Jesus doing here? It actually started to make more sense to me. And I realized that I don't think being dirt is such a bad thing. Because ultimately, it's what we're made of. If we go all the way back to Genesis 2, all the way back to when God is shaping and forming the world, what he does is he takes a bunch of dirt, he molds it into the shape of a man, breathes his, his breath into it, his life-giving breath, and Adam comes to life. And all that separates Adam from being dirt is that life-giving, sustaining breath of God. So when Jesus calls us dirt, he's actually calling us what we are. That's what we were made from. And so it's not a put down. In fact, it's acknowledging who we are and that there's potential in us. And Adam is the person we've all descended from. So we get to share in that identity. And even Jesus' critique of these different kinds of soil, it's not to denigrate the soil, it's actually to say that the soil has potential and that there are things that are blocking it from its potential. And that's what he wants us to address. He knows that we have it in us to nurture the gospel. He knows that we have it in us to bear fruit. But the problem is, and this is as our parable points out, there are many times that the soil isn't ready or isn't able to receive the seed that Jesus is trying to plant, and so the seed lies dormant, and it doesn't grow, and it's unable to fulfill its purpose. And as I say that, the problem solver in me wants to go, this is a really simple solution, Jesus. Like, This isn't a hard thing to think about. If the soil's not good, you either need to find a different soil or a different field to plant in or fix the field that you have. Well, the thing is that with our our sower, Jesus, is that he's not going to give up on his field. He's picked his field. He's picked his people. And that's us. And he's not leaving us. He's not forsaking us. He's not going anywhere. We are his and he is ours. So he's going to deal with the field he has and love us in the midst of it. And so he's going to double down on his field, on his people. He's going to cast out as much seed as he possibly can, knowing our potential, knowing that we have it within us to bear the fruit of the gospel and working with us to become those people who can do that. But then if it would follow, if Jesus is going to stick with us, he needs to fix us. He needs to fix the soil. But again, there's another challenge here, and it's this, that despite Jesus' power to remake us to remake this field and remake it perfect. He's not going to do that at the expense of our choice to choose to follow him. Instead, Jesus asks the field to ready itself, to be, to be sown into, to reap a harvest. He wants us to partner with him in this process and to, help, and to ask him to help us identify the rocks and the thorns and the things that keep seeds from taking root. Because while we have a God who is all-powerful and all-capable, he's not gonna impose himself on us. He's gonna invite us into a new future and equip us for that future and for the potential he created us with. He wants us to choose him. He wants us to choose to be healthy soil, soil that's capable of nurturing the seed of the gospel and helping it to bear fruit. So then I think we arrive at the very simple but I think hard truth of our parable. Jesus is sowing the seed of the gospel in our lives and our job is to be the soil that allows the seed to take root and bear fruit. Now, I mentioned that I spent a lot of time helping my mom plant her garden oasis in the desert. And one of the things that we had to pay attention to a lot because it's the desert and it's devoid of anything healthy um, and sustaining is that we had to make this dirt into good soil. And so the couple things that we had to pay attention to were we had to pay attention to the health of the soil. Like, is it too acidic? Does it need nutrients? And that sort of thing. We also had to pay attention to the texture of the soil. Be- you know, if, if soil is too sandy, the roots can't take root, and so they move around. Um, and if it's too firm, if there's too much clay in it, there's no room for roots to grow at all. So you're trying to find this, this medium between the, of all those things. And so we would work on that. And I think that in the same way that my mom and I had to work on this soil, we need to do that in our own lives. We need to look at our own health. We need to ask, are there things in us that make us too acidic to receive the gospel? Maybe there's sin in your life. Maybe there's something that you're struggling with. Maybe there's a hard season that you're going through. Maybe there's someone you haven't forgiven. Whatever it is, whatever it may be, we need to look at that and see, how do we deal with that so that we can be ready to receive the gospel? And in the same way, we also have to look, are there nutrients that we need in order to be able to nurture and to grow the gospel? And even the healthiest of soils, year to year, needs to be nurtured and needs, needs these nutrients added. And so, and the way God does that through us is by providing wor- us the opportunity to worship, providing scripture, speaking to us in prayer. He gives us the ability to become the disciples we're called to be. And there's no shame here. It's easy to become complacent. It's easy to settle into a way of living that doesn't seek those things out. But to be soil that is ready to receive the gospel, we have to step into that. And in the midst of doing that, God's going to give us taste of the kingdom and invite us into what it could look like to see the gospel bear fruit. And lastly, we need to address the texture of our soil. We need to make sure that we have the right amount of space so that when the gospel starts to take root, there's places that it can actually grow. And the best way I have found to do this that I'd invite you into is to start serving others. Because I believe that when we make room in our lives for other people, when we start to serve them and help them, we start to set aside some of the space that we were reserving just for ourselves. And so the gospel gets to let its roots make you know, interweave and find its spot within there. When we make room for others where we may have only served ourselves before, the roots are to take hold and they allow us to become the people we were created to be. And the gospel begins to grow. Now, I was talking about this with my fiancee, Julie, and she kind of smirked as she was like, I ha- she was reading through it to ha- the sermon to help me out, and she said, do you want to use my cat story? <laughs> I was like, okay, let's do this. So when Julie was a senior in high school, uh, she had seen uh, and heard about all of the stuff that was happening in Louisiana in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, and she and her friend Katie wanted to go there and help out and do some relief work. They felt like that's something God was calling them to do, and so they started to research ways to get there. They needed to raise money, and they were, so they were kind of on this path of trying to figure out how to get there. And as they were doing that one night, Julie hears a knock on her front door. And it's her neighbor, and her neighbor is distraught. And she's carrying this framed photo, I want you to think about this, this framed photo of her cat, Mr. Snuggles. Um, I say this is a guy who has framed photos of my dog, so um, no judgment there. Um, but Julie, who I love and adore and is very sweet and very kind, um, also hates cats. Like, I think she might look, she won't say this, but the face she has when she sees them, I think she thinks they're demons that walk around that we've accepted. Like, detest cats. And so as the, her neighbor's telling her this, she's just kind of, I, I, I imagine that she's sitting there thinking about what empathy for a lost cat might be. And so she's nodding through this. And the neighbor finishes telling her, she says, yeah, sure, if I see it, I'll let you know. Shuts the door, goes on with her life. It's doesn't want a cat in her life, so she's not really worried about this. But a couple days later, she's driving home and it's this dark, stormy night. It's raining, she's talking to her friend on the phone and all of a sudden, who does she see caught in a storm drain? Mr. Snuggles, (laughs) right? And Julie's sitting there and she's narrating this whole story to her friend and she's just like, I do not want to go in the storm drain. I'm not gonna go in search of a cat. Like, this is not happening, like, no. (laughs) But her friend's like, well, you at least need to go to your neighbor and say this is where Mr. Snuggles is. And she's like, okay, I can do that. So she goes and goes to her neighbor's house, Tells them where Mr. Snuggles is, helps them find it, and that sort of thing. Moves on with her day and is just thankful that the cat thing is over and she can move on with her life. The cool thing is she wakes up the next day, at her front door, there's 300 bucks in an envelope. Crazy thing is, is that was about half of the money Julie needed to get to Louisiana. Half of the money she needed to go on this trip that was incredibly formative for her. It was the first time she saw people using their gifts and their vocation. The first time she saw that, hey, the things that are in me, that I'm good at, I can use to serve other people. And she got to serve the poor, she got to serve people who were affected, like, she got to see a whole different context and realize that there was opportunities in her life to serve others and to be invited into that. And so the reason Julie's chuckling is, when she's reading this, is she's saying, well, I guess for me, becoming good soil was getting out of the car and helping find Mr. Snuggles. Because doing that allowed the gospel to start to take root in me and let me step into that kind of life. The question I think that all of us are wondering is, okay, well then, what does this mean for me? Like, I don't, I don't think Mr. Snuggles is gonna show up lost in my neighborhood, so what do I do? What does this mean for my life? And my push to you is this. Yes, you need to take a good look at yourself and you need to assess whether or not you, your soil is good. And there's no shame there. All of us are called to do this and this is what the text is, is calling us to do, is to assess our soil and see if it's good. And if there's work to be done on it, do it. There's a simple imperative there, and Jesus isn't mincing words, because the point is that even if you get good, pristine soil, that on its own is not enough. The point of the parable isn't just about becoming good soil, it's just one step. And I think there's a misnomer, sometimes this parable is referred to as the parable of the the soils, and I think calling it that misses the point, because it's the parable of the sower, the one who is sowing the gospel, and we are called to participate in that. And so the impulse that we just need to work on ourselves here is wrong. This is not a self-help narrative from Jesus. This is a life we're being called into. And so instead of focusing on ourselves and making our soil ready, God's calling us into something more and to go further than that. Because Jesus is not just talking about soil management for its own sake. He only cares about the soil in relation to that it can bear fruit. And that's what he's calling us to do, to bear the fruit of the gospel. But there's a catch, and the catch is this. In order to bear fruit, we have to make ourselves open to whatever the gospel is going to do to us. Because as those seeds get planted, as those roots start to grow, and that's what the gospel will need to do in order to grow in us, those roots are going to start to wiggle into our lives, into the spaces and places that were neat and tidy for us. And they're going to start to mess things up, make us feel uncomfortable and cramped, And it's going to feel as if it's messing up the ground that we already worked so hard on to get to this place to where it could take root. And I don't know about you, but there are times that that freaks me out. Because there are days, not every day, but there are days where I want to look at God and be like, I'm good. (laughs) I'm fine. Like, getting here was enough. Right? And that's okay. But the thing is, is that's not the life we're called to. The life we're called to is the one where we're saying, all right, God, I don't know how this is going to feel. This is going to be uncomfortable, but okay. And to take that step. The purpose of the gospel is to announce the good news of Jesus Christ and God's intention to remake the whole of creation, to restore it, and to revive it. And that's no small endeavor. And God wants to use us to do that, to advance his mission by growing the gospel in us. And so The thing is is that the gospel is more than just some safe houseplant, some tame thing that we get to feel comfortable with. It is strong, and it is wild, and it is meant to change the world. I think the other hard thing is that with the gospel, is we don't get to choose the kind of seeds that God's going to sow in us. Jesus doesn't give us a picture of this sower who is neatly putting seeds in this place. We get this picture of a sower who's casting it out left and right, three-quarters of the field, and he's saying is isn't hospitable, but he's still just tossing it out. And what we can draw from the scripture is that the seeds of the gospel are about a whole lot more than neat and tidy lives, that it's about more than just our personal salvation and whether or not we're going to heaven. Sure, that's important, but the gospel is about so much more. It's about feeding the hungry, healing the sick, setting the captives free, caring for the widow, the orphan, the, the outcast. It's about loving others more than we love ourselves, even when it costs us. It's about announcing the grace and love of Jesus Christ and inviting others to know and love him the way that we do. And so, Jesus wants to sow the gospel in you and in me. He wants us to become the people who nurture the gospel because he knows that we know there are things that are not right in the world. And justice for God is righting wrongs in the world. And when we see injustice, we're called to step into it. The, the struggle I have, and this is what I'm saying is I don't like when it creeps into places, is it takes me to places I don't think I would choose to go on my own. It's not a comfortable life. I don't know what it will be for you. Maybe it will be the idea that anyone will be honored and respected, no matter, without regard for their gender, the color of their skin where they were born, or any other thing about them, right? Maybe that's your call is the seed of the gospel that's being planted and used to say, I will not allow people to be treated unjustly. Maybe it is about supporting and nurturing our youth, helping them to know and love Jesus and journeying with them as they grow and grow into people who can follow him as well. Maybe it's something else. And if you're not sure what it is, come talk to me, come talk to one of our pastors, because I guarantee you God is throwing seed on your soil you are getting nudges all the time and opportunities to step into things. You know, I'm not, I really, initially was struggling with this, because I'm like, I gotta find all these stories. All these stories and moments of when the gospel took root in people's lives and they did this, and then actually I was like, I'm not gonna do that. Because it is really easy for us to hear stories about what other people are doing and get a warm fuzzy and go home. And the point of this scripture is not that we watch other people step into this, but that we do. What Jesus is saying imperatively is that the Christian faith and being a disciple of him is not a spectator sport. He's calling us to be on the team, to score touchdowns, and to find out what our play is to make and to do it. And I think the biggest thing that we have to take away from today is that we have to think and look for what are the nudges that God is making in our life and respond to them. What are the seeds that are being thrown out and thrown our way? And how will we step into that and what will that look like? And they can be a lot of different things. But Jesus says that the mark of the disciple is to hear the word of God and do it. It's not about being pristine soil. It's about being soil that is is good enough for the gospel to take root and bear fruit, as messy as that may be. One story I will tell you is of a sixth grader, and I'm going to tell you if a sixth grader can figure this out, anyone in this room can figure this out. At Vacation Bible Adventure this year, we are, we have a missional component to it every year. And our thing this year that we invited kids into was to ask them to help us raise money for kids in Bolivia so that they could have bedding and they could have new mattresses. And this sixth grade boy comes in the second day, super excited with 40 bucks that he wants to put into uh, the collection for it. And Nate and Elena, who are our um, middle school folks, they're like, where did you get the 40 bucks? Like, you, you know. Like, sometimes Bellevue kids will just get mom to sl- slip them a few 20s and call it good, right? And so we're just like, how did this work? And he's like, no, I'm a part of a bike gang. And at first we're like, okay, that's cool. And um, he's like, no, every, every day after school or in the summer, my buddies and I will ride our bikes around our neighborhood. But I decided that after hearing about this today that I wasn't going to do that, and so I went home and set up a lemonade stand, and I got 40 bucks out of it. And we're like, that's awesome. What's even better, though, is the next, that day, he went home and got some of his friends to do it with him. And so the, like he just—it was invited into something, got this nudge at VBA. did it himself, thought I'll do it with other people because it's more fun than doing it on my own. And by the end of the week, I think he and his friends had raised like over $200. Now he doesn't want, it, you want to know his name and he's embarrassed by this whole thing, but the story is still really cool because he got a nudge. A seed got thrown his way and he let it take root and he got to participate in the gospel growing in his life and in the lives of others. You can do this too. I can do this. We are called to this. So the question I'm going to leave you with is this. What seeds are being planted in your life? And what fruit are those seeds bearing? It's not enough to have good soil. Jesus is calling us to bear the fruit of the gospel in our own lives. How's it happening in yours? So God, be with us. Help us to see the nudges that you are giving us, the seeds that you are planting in us, and to trust you. And that as we do that, help us and nurture us and sustain us for what it means to bear the gospel out of our lives, to invite other people into knowing you and loving you, and to see your kingdom breaking in. And it's in your name we pray, amen.